you guys hear me? Yeah. We do now. Hello? Hello? Oh, God, I've been talking. <laughs> oh, you've been talking? I was uh, That's why it's been yes. so quiet. Ha, 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 ha. Sounds like my family. This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Freelancer Show. This episode is sponsored by Elixir Sips. Elixir Sips is a screencast series that will take you from Elixir newbie to experienced practitioner. If you're interested in learning Elixir but don't know where to start, then Elixir Sips is perfect for you. In two short screencasts each week, between 5 and 15 minutes, Elixir Sips currently consists of over 16 hours of densely packed videos in more than 100 episodes, and there are more every week. Elixir Sips is brought to you by Josh Adams, expert reviewist and CTO of a software development consultancy, Isotope 11. Elixir Sips. Learn Elixir with a pro. Find out more at elixirsips.com. This episode is sponsored by Less Accounting. Let's face it, there are a lot of things about being an entrepreneur that we all hate. One of the things that I really hate is bookkeeping. Less Accounting has just started a new service where you can get your bookkeeping done for a really low cost each month. If you're interested, go to freelancershow.com slash bookkeeping to go check it out. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 161 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Eric Davis. Hello. Jonathan Stark. Hello. Reuben Lerner. Hi everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we're going to be talking about budgeting. Woohoo! So, does anyone actually budget for their company? Dare I admit that I don't? I do. I've been doing it um, all of this year, so what is that? About six months now. Um, and I used to do kind of an informal one, um, I guess for a couple of years before that. Yeah, I think I would benefit from one, but I just haven't really, I'm always running ahead, you know, go, go, go. And I just spend whatever I have to spend to get stuff done. Well, okay, let, let me ask that question then. What do you mean by budgeting? I mean, if you mean sort of keeping track of how much is more or less coming in and out in a general way, but like I have a good sense of what's going on, but doing an actual shall we say, Eric-like, actual, knowing the exact dollars and cents. <laughs> Surely you jest. Yeah, I mean, I have a bookkeeper, and so I go look at the numbers you know, throughout the month because they keep them pretty up to date. And so I have a general idea of where the dollars are going, but yeah, I don't, you know, I don't sit down at the beginning of the month and say, well, I'm going to spend this on this and this on that and this on the other. Yeah, and see, I used to, I did do that. I did that. Uh, that's the more recent way. I used to just kind of at the end of the month say, where did I spend my money on? You know, how should I adjust it for next month? Like, should I cut back on buying books or, you know, my, my hosting fees starting to get outrageous, that sort of thing. But honestly, like since I started doing a real budget, like it's helped a ton. Like I know I have X amount of money in savings, which, you know, equates to almost nine months of my business expenses and salary. I know I have $2,000 and one penny set aside to buy a new computer if my computer just crashes or gets stolen. And actually this morning I was thinking about the show and I was thinking like, you know, I go to microconf every year. I should put away, you know, it's about $1,200 for me to go. I should put away $100 a month for that. So when I have to buy flights or, you know, when the tickets go on sale, I know the money's there. I don't have to like scramble. Like, do I have enough cash in the bank? Do I have to transfer money around? Um, it's 
been a really huge burden just off my shoulders. Interesting. So I'm, I'm curious. Um, I mean, you kind of spelled out, you're thinking ahead. It helps you know where the money is going to go instead of knowing where it went. I'm not sure if that's enough for me to really go, oh, I really have to do this. Yeah, what was the incentive to change? So I can't remember his last name. Jesse from You Need a Budget. Uh, he's basically the owner, CEO. Jesse Meekum. Meekum, yeah. He's like the chief marketing person. Like He's all doing all the presentations and stuff like that. He presented at MicroConf this year, so 2015 and then last year. And basically the way he, he explains it is like the budget helps you instead of like your bookkeeper comes back to you and says, hey, you spent this much money and this much money. You can be more proactive and actually fund like the categories and the different things that you want your business to do. So like I found I was spending a couple hundred dollars on hosting and I'm like hosting is important to my business, but it's not that important. I'm not hosting applications. It's just I have a bunch of servers. I would rather, you know, make the focus of my company, you know, the training, the high quality uh, education that I can benefit myself with. And so what I did is I started cutting off a lot of servers, downsizing them. And then was able to take the money I was spending on servers to buy books and some higher end training material and actually get coaching on certain things. And so I have kind of a, a good eye view of like, okay, this is, this is how I want my business to be. Like I want my business to compliment me and improve me in these areas. Um, and so I'm actually actively putting money towards that instead of just kind of looking back after the fact. So I do like that idea where it's, okay, what do I want this company to provide for me? And then, okay, well, I'd rather spend $100 on training than $100 on hosting. Yeah, I did something similar recently. I don't know if I'd qualify it as a budget, but I guess it is. I was reallocating funds, let's say, where I went through and, and I was like, you know, it was recently tax time in the U.S., I guess a month or a couple months ago. And uh, I have a bookkeeper like Chuck does, and they had a bunch of stuff that they couldn't categorize, so I had to actually categorize it. And so I went through the list. I hardly ever look at it. But when I, I did, I went through and I was like, oh, I'm spending money on all of these monthly services that I didn't even remember signing up for and I'm not even using. Like T-Mobile's been charging me 30 bucks a month for years. I don't even know what it's for. I don't have a T-Mobile phone. So I went through <laughs> and I cleaned out all of that stuff. And it was like, it was almost $1,000 a month. It was like several hundred dollars a month. And then I was like, oh, well, what what could I do, you know? where could I put this? And like what, and I had that, I didn't pick something really, but I did have the thought like, what do I want to use this now sort of found money on that is beneficial? You know, like where could I invest this money back into the business in a way that would generate some income like training or marketing is something that uh, I'm doing more and more of. So maybe I could move those monthly dollars over to something like get drip or whatever. Right. And that's what I'm, what I've done is I've, I can get into it later, but I kind of hit a certain level where, you know, all of my business debt was taken care of. I have, you know, enough in the bank for like a rainy day. And now it's like, okay, I have, you know, X amount a month coming in, you know, that's kind of extra. I could throw what at whatever. And I'm looking at, okay, could I use this to hire someone to help me market? So like take care of kind of the really time intensive, but not really value added marketing tasks. And if I did that, would that actually help my, my revenue go up? You know, and looking at my budget, I can say like, yeah, I can, I can account for, we'll just say $900 a month for that. And so I can go to someone and say, Hey, here's my budget. And it's actually a budget, not just a number I pulled out of the air, but this is how much I'm able to spend, you know, and I can look for value that's more than 900. Yeah. That sounds, I mean, I've got a similar thing going on with conferences because I do a lot of speaking gigs and historically they've been very beneficial in terms of lead generation, but I'm starting to feel like 
the industries has shifted enough that I need to kind of reconsider that and look and say, okay, of all of the, you know, I get paid to speak, but it's not millions of dollars. And I incur a lot of expenses and I'm away from the family for sometimes two, three, four days. If I'm not getting good clients out of doing a speaking gig, the money that they're paying me isn't really worth it. You know, it's gravy. It's like maybe somebody pays me $3,000 to go give a keynote talk. And that's nothing to sneeze at, but at the same time, I'm going to spend a third of that just getting there and getting back and all of the random stuff that you do when you're traveling. And so I really have to, I feel like in the past, I used to get a lot of clients out of that sort of thing. But these days, I don't know if I'm getting as much benefit out of it compared to things like podcasting. So I should really do a cost benefit analysis of those. And I might look back and say, you know what, I'm basically breaking even on doing these speaking gigs. And I'd rather spend that time. I mean, that's a lot of time. You go to a speaking gig, it's like three days out of your life. I could mm-hmm. create an entire year of podcasts in that three days. Yeah, I mean, so it's funny. Like, I'm just generally sort of bad with budgeting, although I think I'm better than I used to be, which is not hard. You know, it's a very small threshold to get over. Uh, I mean, in terms of the bookkeeping and so forth, where I just hand a large pile of papers to my accountant's office every month. And he and his bookkeepers go over my things and they say, well, you're missing this and this and this. And then probably about, I don't know, twice a year, we sort of have a, a longer strategy discussion. Where are things? But really, for the most part, it's been kind of convenient for me to know. Like, I basically know what my uh, income is over the next six months each month. So I'm like, OK, well, I know this month is great. July is fantastic. August is pretty dead at this point. And so I already have a good sense of what my cash flow is over the next few months, which is already like, I feel like a step ahead of where I used to be. And now, yeah, I'm starting to say, okay, well, what do I want to spend money on? I mean, the big thing that I've been spending money on is just sort of paying back loans from the PhD so that we're not <laughs> mired in debt, which is, you know, a nice thing to get out of. And we're doing that at a fairly reasonable clip. But yeah, every so often I also find that I go through the things that we are spending money on. And I say, really? We're paying for that? Still? So I don't think I've ever gotten to $1,000 a month, but there are definitely a bunch of things that I've canceled over the years, and, and there's more to go, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah and that's another aspect is, you know, the the extra money coming in from the business. I am I could say, okay, well, the business is doing good. I, You know, there's a limit to the number of books or trainings I can actively be doing each month. Like, I can't read 20,000 books in a month. So what I can do now is I can say, like, oh, look, you know, it's June I'm gonna, or I'm budgeting for July, you know, the next month, and I have an extra, we'll say, two grand sitting in there. I can actually pull that out and say I'm gonna give myself, like, personally, a bonus, and so I can take that. We can, as a family, go on vacation. Maybe I can take some time off, or more likely, we'll start paying down our debt and trying to build up our own rainy day fund and all that stuff. But you know, I have that freedom, so I can actually decide, like, you know, is is this two thousand best invested in my business at this stage, or is it best invested in our personal stuff? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about budgeting, I feel like you can't uh, ignore the time budgeting aspect of it and like the emotional, so like like time costs and emotional costs. I don't know if we're specifically talking about finances here, but um, it does kind of encourage you when you're looking at your money like this, it does kind of encourage you to think twice about how you're spending not just your money, but also your time and what your focus is. Well, it's interesting you say that. Like, I mean, I have for many, many, many years kept up a, a crazy schedule, you know, sleeping very little, going to sleep late, getting up early. And um, I, I decided like, okay, now that I've got enough money coming into the business each month to deal with the expenses that we have and to pay off the debts, like I'm going to try, and this is like relatively recent, the last month or so, I'm going to try to sleep like a normal person or something approaching it. 
And, you know, it's good for my health, good for my well-being, good for everything. And I feel like because I know where the finances stand of my company, and it's not always, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's going on with my clients? Like, I can be more relaxed about it. Um, I mean, right now, as I said, I'm, I'm worried about August to some degree and partly September, but at least I can focus my worry on something specific as to, oh, I really hope money comes in, which is how it was for many years. <laughs> I think, and I think that worry is like probably the most important or beneficial aspect of why I budget now is like, you know, it's the lack of worry. Like I, like I said earlier, I know I have nine months in savings. I know, you know, the work I'm doing now, I'll have the income and I'll be budgeting that next month and I can you know, forecast out my expenses. I know my expenses are going to be right around this with, you know, maybe 10%, 15% variance, you know, so I know for a fact, like, yeah, I'll still be in business for the rest of this year, even if I don't get any new customers. And so I don't have to be as hard on myself. I don't have to go to bed sweating bullets or any of that stuff. I can kind of kick back if I need to. I can kind of, you know, if a client comes to me and they feel like a really bad client, I don't feel like I have to take them as a client. I can wait for an ideal client or someone who's a better fit for me. And so that, that worry aspect just kind of gets, it gets minimized to just a very, very tiny thing. Like I, I still worry, but I don't worry about finances or, you know, anything around the finances side. And, and by the way, that, that's huge. I mean, I just had that, I think two days ago, uh, someone who had hired me years ago emailed me and said, listen, I know you do a lot of other things now, but I've got this guy who's interested in a project. I'll put you together. So I said, you know what? You never know. Sometimes I take on consulting clients and I've got an employee who does some programming. And the guy emailed me and said, well, we really need someone to use PHP and MySQL. I sort of rolled my eyes and said, you know what? I'm in a position now. I can say no. And it was like a fantastic feeling. So I wrote to him and said, listen, we could do it if we're using such and such technologies. But like, you know, otherwise, no, thank you. And it's because I know where things are going, because I have a, a sense of where the future, you know, what the future holds that I definitely feel empowered. It's a, it's a terrific feeling. Yeah. And I mean, let's be honest, like I'm looking at my sheet here back in January. So, uh, five months ago about, you know, my bank account was looking a little low. Like it, it, I still had a few months in there, but you know, work wasn't coming in cause it was a holiday slump that I ran into. And I was basically draining down the savings, but I had a budget. I knew basically I knew my number of how much I had in there, how long I could last. And so, you know, I got a little worried, just more of, okay, I need to ramp up marketing because I know my sales cycle takes a while, but I wasn't like running around with my hair on fire, taking like, you know, PHP, WordPress conversion gigs that are totally outside my specialty and taking, you know, a huge cut in rates. Like I was able to stick it out and stick with, here's the services I provide, here's the rates I charge. Yeah, it helps you avoid the fire sale, that's for sure. Yep. So... I'd like to know, it sounds like Eric has kind of a formal process around his budget. How exactly do you approach it? How do you write your budget up for a month? Okay, so I'm using YNAB. Uh, you can really use anything. Their software is just, I like it because I can get it onto my phone too. It syncs over Dropbox and all that. Mm -hmm. But let's see, I'll, I'll walk through what I did with the software, but it's if you're using a different one or something else, the concepts apply. I went back to January just because, uh, I wanted a full year. I didn't want to, during come tax time for 2015, I didn't want to have to like go through two different systems. Um, and so I think I had like two months that were before, before YNAB. So I imported all the stuff, went through, categorized it. And a lot of business stuff is reoccurring. So it's like, you know, anything from, did we lose you, Eric? Revenge of the budget. I was getting excited there. You might, he might be convincing me to try this product. Cause the, here's a yeah. funny thing that happens with people while we're waiting for Eric to come back and sell me on YNAB. Since I bill in advance and for long-term projects, like fixed bids for long-term projects, 
It's not uncommon for my bank account to have like a hundred thousand dollars sitting in it, but that has to last me an entire year. Mm-hmm. Right. So, <laughs> so you're like, I'm rich, and you go buy a Tesla and an Apple Watch, and like, and you're like, oh, 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 wait a minute, and then right around Christmas, you're broke, which is the worst time to be broke in the U.S. Oh, totally. I'm actually. Uh, I have not definitely not been good about budgeting. Like I have a bookkeeper who keeps track of all my expenses and stuff and I'll go through and clean stuff out. Like, like, Oh, I don't really need these 200 domain names. I'm not using them, but it would be actually, it would address that specific problem where you're getting big payments up front, but they need to last for a particular amount of time. So like you could have a lot of money in the bank, but you could also be in a position where you really need to ramp up marketing because that money needs to last for X amount of months and a budget would address that. So, Yeah, I mean, I can walk you through. I, I've used YNAB off and on for a few years. and So basically the way it works is you add the accounts. Anyway, it lists it under budget accounts. So you have, like, on mine, I have my bank account, my American Express, and my PayPal account. And I haven't really used this for my business. My wife and I have used it off and on, like I said, for my other stuff. Now, you have to manually import so you just do a quick and I export a quick and file and then it'll import it. Anyway, that's kind of mechanical. Uh, the real power is in the budget. The budget screen, you basically put in all of the different categories that you're going to put things in and then it automatically tallies it up. So like, like I'm using QuickBooks online, but this is not the same thing. No. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's something that I would import information from QuickBooks perhaps? Possibly. I don't know how that would all work, but yeah. So anyway, so you set what you budgeted for the month and then it'll tell you where you're at with your budget as you import stuff into it. And then you can kind of work things from there. So you can say, okay, well, I'm spending this much on this and this much on that. And the thing is, is the way my bookkeeper categorizes it and the way that I think about it isn't always the same. And so that's why I'm tempted to use YNAB for the business. But Gotcha. Gotcha. Eric, are you here? Do you want to continue with how you're tracking your budget so i basically imported a bunch of the transactions for my bank categorized them because like digital ocean wp engine those are hosting they're always going to be hosting so what i actually did is i set them up as scheduled transactions so like whatever every june every 16th you know uh, ynap says hey did you get another bill from wp engine was it whatever 99 dollars? is it hosting and i just say yes and so it like auto, helps me auto enter stuff which saves a ton of time but I put all those in and basically gave me, you know, January and February what I spent as far as budget wise. And so, you know, say I'm bud- figuring out March now, you know, I can look at those two months and there's a couple options I can pick where I can say like, hey, you know, average up the last, you know, in this case, two months, but maybe three months, maybe six months. And that's going to be what the hosting amount is going to be for this month. So it's kind of like a, a running amount. So if it's going up and up and up, I can budget more this next coming month. Or I can say like, no, it's going to be this exact amount. Or I can say, you know, there's actually a whole bunch of options. And some of the stuff you can set it so if you actually over budget, it will like roll stuff over. It's kind of weird. But the idea is, you know, come March, I kind of say, okay, well, here's what I spent in the past two months. Here's what I'm thinking I'm going to spend. You know, there might be, maybe I have some travel or, you know, some other odd expenses. I can put those in. And basically that's how you make your budget. Um, there's a, a bit more on the income side and it's hard to do that in the first month, but I think in the second and third month it becomes pretty easy. But the, the idea is like, if I collect income in this month, so June, I don't actually get to spend that income until July. And so you actually have a floating like 30 day of like, 
wait to make sure the income's there. Um, so you're not like waiting on like, I need this check from a client because I know that's going to help me make my budget match up. And if they don't ever pay. Um, but that's basically all it is. I just kind of started with like, okay, what did I spend over the past two months? And then, you know, slowly over time updated it and kind of corrected it or like, you know, tax time came up. And I, so I knew I had a huge chunk of money I had to put aside for taxes. But this is not an accounting replacement. This is something separate from that, right? Like, do you also use QuickBooks or something like that? No, I mean, and that's, that's the thing. Like accounting and bookkeeping is just basically tracking where you're spending your money. You know, especially for our businesses, for other businesses, like big ones, there's a lot of, a lot of differences, a lot of variations, especially like depreciation, all that. But at least for me, I found just using like YNAB or even a basic, like not a double entry accounting system. Those work fine for business. Um, because at the end of the end of the quarters, end of the year, I just send my accountant like, here's what I spent on, you know, hosting. Here's what I spent on uh, reference material. Here's computer assets I bought. I just give her a line by line breakdown of what I spent. And then she puts it into her uh, QuickBooks for accountants and does all the tax stuff. Oh, so you don't, you don't have a bookkeeper who does like monthly entries for you. No, I do that. And that's, and that's the other size. Uh, every weekend I'll do our personal and business bookkeeping stuff. But with YNAB, a lot of that, like the reoccurring stuff comes through pretty good. And then, so it's just like one off things. And that's why I said, uh, you know, earlier, like, if I go to the bookstore and buy a book and my business credit card, I can punch in the receipt on my phone and it's done. Like my bookkeeping's there. I just have to check my credit card statement and then, you know, say it's cleared and all that when I'm, you know, just to double to, to double check the prices and everything were correct. So here, here's my big question with this. So several times, I would even maybe go so far as to say many times over the last 15 years, I said, you know, I really should do budgeting. And I've done things that are, it sounds like not even as fancy as the stuff you're describing, which is not so fancy. And I find that I, I get it set up and I start to use it. And after two months, three months, whatever happens, and I just stop. And I, I feel like, well, first of all, I feel like you know, an irresponsible person. <laughs> but beyond that, I, I feel like it just requires sort of daily or weekly discipline that I don't have. Um, and I'm wondering what, I mean... Just in general, Eric, you just strike me as like a, a very disciplined person. But what suggestions would you give to sort of make it easier or keep me on track uh, so that I can do this? I mean, yeah, like discipline is going to be a big part. I think you can, I mean, you can build discipline or you can do stuff to kind of discipline yourself. Like, you know, if you set a calendar thing, so every Friday at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, right before you finish up for the week, you spend 20, 30 minutes to do your bookkeeping for that week you know, do that and keep that appointment and make it a habit. And it's, you kind of builds on itself. Like nowadays, it's not so much discipline. It's just, it's something that I do. Um, and it's the, especially with bookkeeping, it's one of those things, like if you do it every week, it's not that much. If you let it wait a month or six months, then it becomes this overwhelming task. And like you always have to do at the very, you have to do a minimum amount of bookkeeping just to be in business. You know, even if you're sending everything off to your account, you got to know what to send them and they're going to come back to you and ask you what stuff is. So there's this minimal level of effort. But if you can put in that minimal level of effort, you know, once a week instead of at tax time when your hair's on fire and you're scrambling and trying to and you're worried, it's just so much easier to just build a habit around it. So, I mean, set an appointment. And even if you can't do it all, like I don't have a lot of transactions. I have a smaller business than a lot of other freelancers. Maybe just do, you know, like I said, do 30 minutes. And if you can't do them all, okay, that's fine. Leave it for your account to do, or maybe you do it, you know, try to catch up if you have a slow week or something. I guess I just feel like I have, I mean, I actually have a, a lot of, I mean, you, you say, oh, well, I must be keeping track of it to hand it to the accountant. 
But that's like only partly true, right? Because basically anything comes in, I say, uh-huh, 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 stick it in the accountant drawer. And then at the beginning of each month, I, you know, put things in the accountant drawer uh, or I take the accountant drawer and I bring it to the accountant's office. And that's my bookkeeping until right when they ask me questions, then I, but, but even then, like, I know, even if I have a lot of sort of paperwork, I know what I've spent money on. Just yesterday, they sent me an Excel spreadsheet saying, please tell us what these 20, 25 credit card uh, expenses were. I was like, okay, this is a book, this is hosting, this is GitHub, this is this, this is that. The, the, the things that are obvious to me, but not obvious to them. This is raising an interesting point for me mentally, which is that I do not pay cash for anything at all ever in my business. Everything is on either my business checking account debit card or a particular credit card that I use for business. So those two accounts are linked to my QuickBooks online. They are automatically imported into QuickBooks. And then my bookkeeper on a monthly basis goes through and makes sure that everything everything is categorized. And if it's not, they send me this spreadsheet like Reuben gets. But I almost never get one. So it's very automated. But the thing about that is, is that it's all happening kind of behind my back in a way. Like I'm the one who made all the purchases, but I never, right. I never get that like dashboard view of like, holy mackerel, I spent $4,500 on Uber last month. I could have bought a car, you know. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I'm sure I'm spending some kind of crazy money on something that's totally not worth it to me. And, and I typically only look at it annually where, I, you know, they give they send me a, a profit and loss statement yeah. that I need to review. And I look at it and I'm like, "You've I spent $2,000 on domain names that I'm squatting on or something like that. That brings up something I mentioned in another one, another podcast, but it's, it's worth bringing up here. Background, I actually have a degree in business finance, which might you know, kind of lend to why I like doing this, but, um, we had to take two classes on accounting as part of the degree. One was financial accounting and the other was managerial accounting. I can't even say that. Uh, financial accounting is what most people think about when you think about bookkeeping and accounting. It's like debits, credits, make sure things balanced, you know, processing thousands and thousands of transactions. Like it's, it's the mechanics of what we've been talking about. Managerial accounting, on the other hand, is someone does that processing. And gives you like the different business reports, like cash flow statement, income statement, general ledgers, all that. And you actually look at it and make decisions. That's the management part of it. So, you know, like you just said, like you spent $45,000 on Uber last year. Okay. We shouldn't be doing <laughs> Suddenly that. Suddenly we've gone we up by an order of magnitude. <laughs> yeah. We should now go and buy a car, lease a, lease a car. And that's going to, you know, give us some, uh, an asset's going to give a tax write off. And I think that's an important thing with budgeting is it's not just to appease the tax man. Or even just to get your accountant off your back if you have kind of an, an adverse relationship with them. You should do budgeting so that you actually have a better understanding of how the money in your business works. And let's, let's be honest, like not many of us are doing businesses just for charity. We're not doing it to feel good. We're doing it to make money while probably doing something we love. But if we weren't making money at this, we couldn't do this. We would have to either be a charity or we'd have to go get a job. And so kind of putting the money stuff aside and thinking like, well, I'm, I'm going to have this other person like an accountant deal with my money. That that seems like a huge amount of knowledge that your business is generating and you know a lot of good decisions you can make that you're just kind of passing the buck to someone else or just putting in a shoebox, literally. Yeah. you. I mean, you're 100% right about that. And I, and I had the same opinion for a long time and I used to do exactly what you said, which was the I had it in my calendar the first four hours of every Friday morning. I would go through my numbers and like enter everything in, make sure it was all categorized and all that. And I loved the sense it gave me about how the money was flowing. And I would totally pick up on stuff like, oh, I signed up for this service as a trial and they started billing me and I never even noticed it. And 
it felt way more in touch with the cash flow. And then for some reason, however, I got kicked off of that trend. I probably had a busy couple of months. And in fact, I used to look forward to that. Like it was kind of relaxing. I would go to the Starbucks and I would go through my uh, numbers. And like you said, it only took, it probably didn't even take an hour after I got rolling. And uh, I got kicked off of the routine, like Ruben said. And then I was like, oh, I need to get back to that. But I didn't get back to it for like a year and a half, during which time I was like, I'm not going to hire a bookkeeper because I'm going to get back to this because I really should. And then things just got really messy. And then I had that, you know, tax time rolls around and it's like, oh, okay, now I have to go through 5,000 transactions and try to remember what this $45.95 was from January of last year. So I guess what I'm saying is like, I kind of can see both sides of it, which is Eric's right and Ruben's right. <laughs> like everyone should be doing what Eric says, but it's harder than it sounds. Yeah. So there needs to be well, some kind of middle ground. So, uh, oh, oh, sorry. The manage, the managerially accounting thing was the, like the brilliant part. So there it would be great. I think everybody would actually kind of dig doing managerial accounting, but they don't want to do the double entry accounting part of it, the mechanical part of it. Are those two things separable? Like, could you have your bookkeeper doing all of the manual part and then you set an appointment for yourself on Fridays for 45 minutes to like just read it? Yeah. And, I, and that's kind of, you know, that's why they're actually separate classes is like, it's usually different people that do it. You know, you actually have the bookkeeper who prepares the books. They're the ones that's typing all that in. That's the financial part. And then typically it's the accountant. So accountant and bookkeeper are different roles. The accountant would come in and they would be kind of doing a, not a full audit, but just auditing, seeing how stuff was. And then like if there's an accounting manager, they'd be the kind of person that'd be like, okay, well, here's where we need to change things around or shift priorities and all that. So there are actually multiple roles. And that's what I was going to say. Like you can have someone typing all your stuff. And if you have a high volume of transactions, that in itself is not valuable for your business. So you can, you know, outsource that to whoever you want. But the thinking about what these transactions represent and, you know, what the amounts represent, that's something that, you know, you need to put some thought in. Like that's actually strategic level work. Right. Well, I mean, to, to my credit, and I admit that I don't get a lot here, you know, in terms of uh, financial responsibility, I, my bank is a really good website. And so I'm constantly going in there sort of seeing what's going in. And I can go in and look at certainly, you know, cash flow in terms of in and out, but also, uh, you know, credit cards and, and what we've been spending on. And like you guys said, basically everything I do, well, not even basically everything I do for the business, I do in a credit card, partly because it's just <laughs> the, the accountant would kill me otherwise, partly because then it's a business expense rather than a personal expense. Basically, if I have to pay for it personally, then it really should be something that is personal. Like, you cannot expense meals in Israel. So my meals are always either on my personal credit card or cash. But anything, anything has to do with the business on the business credit card. So I do feel like I have a good sense of sort of what my business is up to, which is part of, like, I might be just lulling myself into a false sense of security, but that's, I think, part of what's been making me kind of lazy over the years that I don't feel like I absolutely positively need to be going over everything every week. Well, one interesting thing I haven't really brought up, but uh, it happened, I think the very beginning of this month, someone that I've been following online since before I even started my business. So we're talking like 10 years, probably they do coaching and they had not a fire sale, but they had a sale because they were basically redoing a lot of stuff. And it was like, you can get their coaching sessions for extremely cheap. And like, I've spent probably 10,000 or more dollars with them just on their products. But I'm like, ooh, like if they're getting rid of their coaching and it's not going to be in my price range anymore and they're selling it, this is like the last chance I have to kind of really get one-on-one -on -one advice from them. And so what I did, opened up my budgeting program, saw I didn't budget for training, but I had extra from the month. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do it and I'm just going to scale down my training budget for the next four or five months. 
but it wasn't a, where mm-hmm. do I find the money? It was just, oh, let's just take some out of this one bucket that I'm not using this month and put it over here in this other. And so I was actually able to take advantage of an opportunity that literally is probably like once in a decade because I don't think they're going to ever go back to the older way. And so, you know, having my finances in order and knowing that stuff, I could do it without having, you know, the buyer's remorse or any of that stuff later on. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it just, I know this is true, but I haven't, I've fallen out of practice. So it's good to have this conversation and it just takes the superstition out of the finances. You know, they're like, finances are not a good thing to go by gut instinct because no. you, you can have the wrong feeling. You can have a lot of cash on hand, but actually you need it for a abnormally long amount of time. So it or gives you this a false sense of security. I say a worse way, and I've seen this happen a lot, is you're working crazy for a client and have, say, 100000 in accounts receivables, but you don't have any cash and you've got to shut down your business. Yeah, I don't work like that, though. <laughs> 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 I don't bill in arrears, but yes, but I'm sure a lot of people listening do. Right. There's, I mean, I have been in this situation, I think it was a few years ago, uh, I worked on a big project and the client didn't pay for a few months. I kept calling them and bugging them and, you know, they cried poverty, they cried this and they cried that. And I, I finally managed to convince them to pay. But during that time, you know, like my business had expenses. This was the main project I was working on. I had an employee whose salary I was paying and it was just, it was just terrible. Now, that's not directly associated with budgeting, but you know, having a cushion is a great thing. Now, I mean, I'll, this might be an Israel-only thing or mostly Israel thing, but like banking here is very personal. So like I go to my banker, I call my bank, and I have my bankers, and they totally know me. Like they know my account number by heart. They know the status of my account. They'll call me up sometimes and say, look, yo, you've got this going on with your account. Maybe you want to try X and Y and Z. And basically, I, I put something aside in savings every month, both my business account, my personal account, but like I have them in separate banks, so it doesn't really affect things. But that has given me a lot of political capital so that when I need to go in, and I have need to do this on a few occasions over the last few years, especially with a PhD, like when I go in and I say, listen, I'm going to need a loan, they're like, oh yeah, well, we know what your business is like. We'll be, we can do that. And because I've been putting money aside, they trust me more. And now that I've been paying loans back at like, you know, five times, 10 times the rate I should, it helps even more. Yeah, that's definitely not the case in the US. I mean, maybe if you're using a credit union or something, you could kind of do that, but it's not like that at all in my experience in the US. But I have a- Yeah, my US US bank is online and I think I've spoken to their help once. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, once they started doing deposit- checks via the cell phone, you know, by via smartphone. I haven't gone into the bank in maybe a year. I haven't been gone into the bank since Bank of America started supporting check deposits on the phone. But I do have a customer, I have a, a coaching student in Greece and their economy is completely just not moving. And he was explaining to me that he has tapped into entire ecosystems that are just working for free on the expectation that eventually someone will pay back all the IOUs. They're basically, everyone's working off of IOUs and eventually they assume that someday they will all be paid. And we're talking about like not just months, but years of people continuing to offer service based on promises instead of some kind of currency. It's, uh, wait, wait, wait! You're saying that like the whole country more? I mean, this is an exaggeration. Like, there are many people in Greece who are now operating on this IOU system. So it's like this intertwined. Everyone owes each other now. Yeah, I, I mean, my my exact <laughs> quote to my exact quote to the guy was, "Why does anybody keep working if no one's getting paid?" And he's like, "Well, they just assume that someday they'll get paid for the work they're doing today." So 
they keep doing it. It's musical chairs, just finance yeah, exactly. style. That's right. crazy. <laughs> Takeaway is it sounds like a bad time to be living in Greece. <laughs> wow. For at least yeah, good time story. to be working for foreign. I mean, I've I've a guy in my mastermind who's from Greece, and he works for an American company, and I'm sure that's a real uh, nice island of financial stability in his city. Yeah, but he's the most popular guy in town. They make it rain <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Oh, I'm gonna actually gonna pay for my coffee. <laughs> that's just nuts. So I th- I think the benefit that I'm seeing is just getting a an overall view of where my money's going and then being able to make decisions based on, you know, what I'm, I'm dealing with. One thing that I did notice when I was going through my bookkeeping was that I'm still paying for a few services that I'm not using anymore. And I've switched to hosting companies and I could probably save 50 bucks a month or something by switching, by moving stuff over from Linode to DigitalOcean. And so, you know, just stuff yeah. like that. And if you look at it like if I, I need to turn off AWeber, which is 30 bucks a month, and I need to move stuff over, like I said, for hosting. And just those, I mean, 80 bucks a month, it doesn't sound like a lot. But if you aggregate it over a year or two or three, you know, it starts to make a difference. The other thing is, is that what if I find uh, a few hundred other dollars that I'm spending that I don't need to, you know, and, and that's where the budgeting seems to make a lot of sense to me. And the issue that I'm seeing with the budget versus the bookkeeping is that the bookkeeping categorizes things according to what the tax code says, and the budget's going to categorize things according to what I care about. Right. And what I've actually done with my accountant um, is I've worked with her to figure out what, what they're called on the tax code, or she has a lot of additions that she does for my, um, what is it, Schedule C or whatever. Basically, it's like, you know, I have, I have an expense that's called website operations, which would include hosting, domain names you know, stuff keeping the website on. And so I worked with her, figured out what, what she's calling things, what the IRS calls things, and adapted my system to do that. So it's it's actually matching. So if I go to her, I don't have to mentally like change what it's called. I can just say, hey, I spent this much in training or I spent this much in office equipment. And it just works right across the board. And most things map pretty reasonably well. Um, and you can always put a note. You could have like website opera- operations and then parentheses have a note for yourself. Like this is hosting and servers and whatever. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that reminds me actually, Chuck, that I, I've been planning for, I think now six months, to move away from my hosting company and move my site onto DigitalOcean. And I did the first part, which was moving mail hosting off onto Rackspace, but that added an expense. And the whole point was to then get rid of my dedicated server in favor of a five-buck-a-month server and save literally yeah, $80, $90 a month. And I, that's $1,000 a year. You know, that's, that's not chump change. Well, and one another thing to think about, because I'm going to head this off before it gets said, is you know if you're billing at a certain rate, is it worth you know trying to save twenty dollars on hosting? Like, are you going to spend five hours to save twenty? And that's a that's a valid concern, and that's what you know you should kind of use budgeting as decision making of like you know yes, I'm I'm spending a little too much on hosting or on my cell phone, but the time and effort to get stuff changed to be a lower cost, it's not worth it. But another thing is um, like Chuck, you're saying eighty bucks a month, so we'll just say what, uh, 960 a year, you know, could you pay someone two or 300 bucks to go and move it all for you? And so you are, it's actually a project of you have a cost of $300. Your return is going to be 660 less than expenses. Your ROI is, you know, X, Y, Z. And now you start thinking as a business owner, like how could I get Mm -hmm. this done without even using my time? Right. So the other thing that comes up a lot when I talk to people about budgets is that they, basically say, yeah, well, I put the numbers in, and then it turns out that I have to spend money on something that's not in the budget. So you not do, allowed. Do you, just, do you just amend the budget? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of what YNAB and a lot of them kind of say is like your budget, 
like you, I'll make a budget like for July, which is the month from right now, you know, I'll make it. That's a guess. I don't know what's going to happen in July. And I'm just basically putting money in different buckets. And like I said, with my uh, training example is if I need to take some money out of one bucket to put in another, because say my 50,000 domain names renewed that month, you can do that. You got to kind of adjust something else. Um, and you might get into a situation where you actually spent too much just because of all that. One thing I found, we actually do this in our personal stuff and I do it in my business is I set aside a buffer category and I'm just putting in a hundred dollars into that each month. And it's just like, if stuff just can't balance enough, I just take it out of the buffer and put it in there. And it's an, it's a nice easy way. So you don't have to like throw all the balls up in the air and try to catch them at once. It kind of gives you a bit of a, a smoothing effect. And if you don't spend all the money in the buffer or some of your accounts like hosting where it might go up and down like for like domain stuff where it's once a year, um, you can roll it over. So if you budget 500, you spent 400, that $100 would go into August. So if you have a lot of stuff coming due in August, you can kind of account for it there too. Yeah. And one thing that I should point out is in YNAB, if you put money into a category and you don't spend it, it carries over to the next month. So when Eric's saying I'm putting $100 toward it every month, what he means is, is that if he doesn't touch his buffer, then in 12 months, he's going to have $1,200 in there. Yeah. And this is a point that Jesse made during his uh, presentation. Like a lot of the things that really mess people up with budgeting is these like crazy events, like these emergency events. And there are some like, you know, you get hurt, you go to the hospital, that sort of stuff. But there people also consider like Christmas or a birthday or say, you know, the family's annual summer vacation as emergency events. But really, you've known about it. It is your vacation's always in July. It you always go to Costa Rica. It always costs you X amount. And so for those kind of things, like for business taxes, you always have taxes. Your accountant should be giving you how much you need to like save and you're going to spend in your estimated taxes. Like that's always going to happen. So what you should do is you should figure out when's it due, how much do you need to pay, and split it up so that you can save you know either a twelfth of it each month for a year or you know, one six for six months or whatever it ends up being, save that money now. So it's just a little bit of putting money into that uh, kind of that special buffer category for taxes. And then when taxes come due, you just clear out the buffer and move on. It, there's no huge tax bill. You already have that money set aside and earmarked. Yep. Yeah, it works, it works a little differently for us in Israel where um, we don't have like one annual tax bill, but I'm paying taxes every month. But because like the, basically the numbers go up and down each month, depending on income, and then it sort of works out for the whole year. So what will happen is in like September, my accountant will say, okay, how much do you think you're going to make between now and December 31st? And then based on that, he can sort of say, well, you should have more expenses. You should try to delay income. You should, you know, the different things we can do, or we're just going to pay more taxes now so that we shouldn't have any bad surprises. Because that, that that's a bad feeling and it's bad in general. Yeah, my accountant, I don't remember what the U.S. law is, but you have to do, I think, like 80% of your estimates from last year unless there's a significant change or something or other. But she basically says, like, are you expecting anything really massively changing this next year? I say no. She gives me the estimates. And then I think usually around the six-month time and then nine-month and then like 11-month, she'll check back in and you know basically say, hey, do we need to revise stuff? Did I have a better year than I expected? Did I have a worse year? And so she'll revise it. And so we end up close to the end of December. Like we pretty much know how much we're going to spend. And if we need to make emergency purchases of, you know, a whole bunch of laptops or iPads or whatever, just to kind of play with the tax burden, you know, that's there. Yeah, I'm kind of getting this vibe off of Eric. Like I've had um, a couple of situations where I got like a crazy amount of money paid in advance at the end of a tax year. And the, you know, my 
uh, financial advisor would be like, well, you know, if you want to contribute a bunch of money to your HSA, my, my health savings account, or uh, if you need to buy new laptop equipment or anything like that, then now's the time to do it because you basically, you, you almost get it for like a 30% discount. And that's the greatest conversation to have. You're like, oh, sweet. I have like $20,000 to go out and just like go on a shopping spree for stuff for work. But that only happens once a year at the most. But if you're constantly tracking this stuff, then, you know, like the coaching story that you've told Eric, it's kind of like you can kind of do that sort of thing throughout the year in a way that feels to me like it would be much more beneficial for your business and not like Christmas. It's also, you know, the money's there. So it's not just during that. And, you know, I call, it's called business mass. It's basically after Christmas before the New Year's where every, all businesses just start clearing out as much cash as they can for taxes. But if you said it like I have $2,000 set aside for a laptop, so mine can start getting long in the tooth and I can wait and look for, okay, Lenovo's having a huge sale, say Black Friday sale. I can say, okay, I got the money for it. I'm going to get a new laptop. I'm going to save 40% on that. And it's going to be a tax write-off. So I'm going to get 30% off there. I just got a new laptop for about half price. So my, my accountant actually sends out email toward the end of every calendar year saying, please remember, Israeli accounting law says that if you buy something at the end of the year, it's still only going to, like, you don't get the full tax credit at the end of the year. It's going to be... I don't know, it gets depreciated over three years or something. So it doesn't matter if you buy it in December or in January. Clearly, a lot of his clients think that this would work and thus buy things. Although, to be honest, a lot of companies, with, like stores with inventory, want to get rid of their inventory so they don't have to do, um, like, they have to account it and deal with the, the stock, you know, stocking, accounting, whatever they need to do. So they actually give you good sales at the end of the year. So often we buy things anyway. Yeah. And this is a lot of this is US specific. It might be, you know, obviously talk to an accountant. My business equipment, it should be depreciated like what you're saying, but I fall under, I think it's section 179. I'm a small enough company. I don't buy a lot of equipment. So instead of having to write off my laptop, you know, say $2,000 over three years, I can write it all off in one year. I take wow. depreciation expenses as an expense. You know, that's why you have to, it pays to have a really good tax accountant who knows this stuff. Like, I don't really have that many depreciating assets because I can put a lot of stuff under there. But if you can't buy a new laptop, you can buy books or you can do a lot of other things that are actually real expenses. They're not like a depreciating where you have to fall into the certain thing. So, you know, you might even be able to prepay for some things uh, depending on your tax laws. Like I've prepaid for my phone, you know, throw in a couple hundred dollars into it and I don't have to pay for my phone bill all of next year, but I get the tax write off for this year. So one other thing that I want to go after here really quickly that I've run across is uh, some of my expenses go toward multiple things. Just as an example, uh, Mandy, who edits this podcast, I want to keep track of what I'm spending on the podcast. I want to keep track of what I'm spending for general assistance, which is you know some of the stuff that she does. She's helped me with Ruby Remote Conf, and it would be nice to know how much is going toward that. And that means that I have to go through her invoice and split it up. Uh, do you do that kind of thing or am I creating too much work for myself? So I used to do it for, I had, you know, I called it my consulting division and then I had my freelancer training division. And so, you know, product income on that side with like product expenses and then consulting income, consulting expenses. It was a headache, um, especially for stuff like drip, you know, email marketing, they're both in it. You know, it's probably more geared towards my freelance business, but my consulting one uses it and my consulting one has made revenue. So it's, you know, an expense for there. I've got it to now where I really don't care. I never really did a lot of like, what's the expenses of this division? And that goes back to the managerial stuff. Like I was putting in 
a ton of time, but not making any decisions based on, you know, that split up. So when I went to YNAB, I just put it all together all in one. I'll categorize product income as a separate category, just so it's different from consulting income. Um, but that's just because I like to see, you know, the differences of like, I made this much on products versus consulting. So, and especially in your case, like if you have Mandy doing, what are you got? What, 14 podcasts now, 14 conferences, you know, like splitting that up. I don't know if there's a lot of benefit in that unless you're looking at selling something, you know, and you want to kind of get stuff kind of packaged up to sell to, you know, an investor or something like that. Yeah, it also seems to me that it might matter if I really, really care how much of it's going toward whatever. And selling it's one reason why I would care, but it seems like, you know, there may be other things that come up that it's like, you know what, I really do need to just, like, I need to send out a report or I feel like I need to be more transparent about this or that or whatever. Yeah, I mean, if you can think of a business decision or business question that you have that you you want to ask your finances and get an answer back from, then yeah, I mean, adjust your stuff so it supports that. Like, that's the whole point of it. Like, I started a SaaS a while ago and actually split its hosting costs and a couple of its costs into different categories. Like, there are subcategories that they still rolled up. Um, but I did that because I wanted to see how much the SaaS was burning as far as cash. And like, okay, it's burning this much. I need to bring in this many customers. Mm-hmm. And eventually I decided, like, it's burning... I don't know the number, we'll say 500 a month and it's not bringing in any revenue, it's not worth it. I'm going to kill off that division or that product and, you know, put that $500 back to work somewhere else in my business. And so those sort of things are good. And you can, you can use categories for it or most stuff have like a notes field or a comments field. You can even make your own like internal system and say like, this is for uh, the freelancer show podcast. And if you can do a search of all your transactions, you can kind of do ad hoc reporting too. You know, so you don't have to go and split things up into 50 different categories. You can just kind of just do, you know, ad hoc, like what does it actually cost to do this sort of thing? Yeah, I'm totally convinced that it's worth putting, personally for me, to put in some a little bit more effort to kind of, uh, like you said, create that sort of managerial, managerial accounting. It is hard to say. On top of the, what I'm getting, my bookkeeping, to help me make decisions about what things I should kill with what things I should pour some money on. But I'm now like the thing in my mind is like, all right, I've already got all these numbers in QuickBooks. So should I maybe do an ad hoc sort of thing inside of QuickBooks like you just described? Or should I have like a system that's specifically for the decision making process stuff where I can just go nuts? And, you know, maybe maybe I just download all the information from QuickBooks and I just uh, do pivot tables in Excel. I don't know. Is YNAB something that I should even be considering as a QuickBooks user? I can't go off QuickBooks because my bookkeeper uses it. I mean, honestly, if you can't go off it, but if you can make it work for you, stick with it. I mean, there's the software is software. I like YNAB. It's, it was better than the one I was using. And I picked the one I was using because it was better than the one before that. And I mean, I've used spreadsheets before. So, I mean, whatever is easy for you to get the data in to figure out what the data actually represents. And then if you have other people like an accountant or a bookkeeper, whatever they can use. Um, and I think some of them, you know, you can kind of talk with them and they might be flexible of like, yeah, they might do QuickBooks, but they'd be open to using a different system or whatever. That's what I did with my account. She's very much a QuickBooks person, but what I do is I just send her basically a report of like, here's my profit and loss statement for the period we're talking about. And it's it's literally just, I did a report, I print it to a PDF, send her the PDF, and half the time in email, I just type in, here's my total income, here's my total expenses. And then she just does her stuff from there. So if something works for you and it can answer all the questions you want, stick with it. You don't need to switch. But if you feel like it's not working for you or personally, I think QuickBooks is like overkill and just really a pain in the butt. You know, I, I would look at switching or trying to find something that would work. And it could be YNAB, it could be new cash, it could be less accounting, it could be, you know, anything else. 
So would you say that YNAB is specifically geared toward people who are in the kind of business we're in and that's why it's your favorite right now? Um, YNAB is geared very much for personal finance. Um, it's geared for if you have ever heard or done stuff with Dave Ramsey's system um, where you have like envelopes or whatever or um, envelope system, it comes from before Dave Ramsey, but it's basically software for that. Myself and I think about four or five people, you actually know some of them, Jonathan, We've all started using YNAB recently for business stuff and been loving it because it's so simple. You know, I, like I said, it's really like all you're doing is you're just kind of keeping track of what you spent money on and where. And so, like I said, even a spreadsheet can work for that. Um, it's a pain in the butt to do reports on it. But if you're moonlighting or doing something, you know, just with a day job, like you might not even need an accounting system. You know, you can just write it all down. Like general ledgers were originally just paper books people wrote in. What's that? Paper oh, book? Wait. What's a paper book? <laughs> I'm going to give it a try because you're absolutely right. QuickBooks is like my eyes glaze over so bad as a software developer. Even the online version of it, it's just like for, for real. Like I can't do this. I can't do that. I just want to like flip these numbers around. Oh, you can't do that. It's daunting. And it's well worth the pretty penny I pay people to do the data entry there for me. So if I could have something on the side that either I import data into or if it's so easy I can just double entry basically, just basically redo their work, then it's it's worth trying because I'd love to get back to that place where I might have my finger on the pulse of the finances instead of just trying to have as much money as possible at all times. Yeah, and this actually, you know, having two books, not like in the illegal sense, but like having two systems for it is actually common. One one of the jobs I worked back in high school, um, it was a manufacturing company, small business, probably 20, 30 employees. They had their accountant who used QuickBooks and she would come in, I think, every quarter to do their books. But their main accounting was done in this very specialized for their industry system because it had their accounting, it had their supplier stuff, it would let them do job bidding, estimates. Like It was basically the software that ran their business. And so their accounting was in there. What their, the accountant would do is she would come in, export all that, figure out if there's any stuff like in the petty cash or any like weird transactions. She would then go off, put everything in QuickBooks, come back, double check everything. And then she would give the, you know, the CEO and the the top managers like the actual reports of here's what it looks like for, you know, this year or whatever. Um, and so like, you know, they had to do the double entry. They paid the accountant to come in and do all that, you know, extra typing because they got a ton more value out of having that really specialized software over QuickBooks. And I, one of the managers who I worked under, like, he cussed a lot and he was always cussing at QuickBooks and cussing at all the stuff it was doing and screwing up his accounts and all that. So, you know, and this was early 2000s, so it hasn't changed much. So if, if people want to get started, should they just pick up something like YNAB then? Yeah, I mean, especially if you have even an interest in doing it on your personal, because I, I don't, I'm not going to quote the price of YNAB because I don't remember it exactly, but you can buy it and you can use it with however many, I think they call it budgets. So you can do it with however many budgets. So we, we have one copy and I use it for my business and then my personal stuff. So it's really good software. It's on Windows, on Mac. It's sadly not on Linux, but I just remote into my, um, my Mac to do it. And they have iPad and, I, and iPhone versions. I don't know if they have an Android one, but most of the mobile one is ba- basically built around you're out and about, you're shopping, you just spent money. How quickly can you punch it in and get it updated into Dropbox so it gets synced everywhere? Or you need to see how much do you have enough money to get groceries um, in your grocery category or can you go out to eat? And so it's very optimized for kind of the state that you're in um, with that device versus the desktop one is very much the planning kind of device. So, yeah, I would recommend it. I've been using it for the business, like I said, for three or four months, I think, um, using it for personal at least a year. 
Um, I bought it after I heard Jesse talk at MicroConf in 2014. So at least a year, maybe close to 18 months. And I, from the second I got, I used it. I loved it. My wife loves it too. And she is like completely opposite me as far as budgeting, finances and all that. And she gets around it and she's actually logging transactions herself. So it's actually like a good win there. Well, it's 60 bucks and I'm buying it right now. So they should probably send us commissions. <laughs> now it looks great. I, you know, this is the first point in the conversation that I realized it's not an online software as a service. It's an actual desktop application or yes. an actual iPhone Android application. Yeah, I'm totally doing this right now. All right. So the other question I really have is looking at this, I mean, how do I know? It seems like if I have a question, is this worth it? Or am I spending too much to get this outcome? The, the budget's a good tool or the bookkeeping is a good tool, or however you want to look at it. The question I have is, are there other questions that you should be asking that are just kind of general? I guess, is there a default set of questions that you should be asking in addition to your specific business questions? I mean, there's the obvious of, you know, are you are you spending more than you're bringing in? That's bad. That's called a loss, and your business will probably shut down eventually. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Unless you're not auto industry. Yeah. One that's, I think, more important for freelancers and stuff is, I don't know if YNAB does it, but a cash flow statement where it's like an income statement of how much you made, how much you spent, but it's centered around cash. So how much cash did you bring in, like literally cash, like deposited or checks deposited, like that you can go and spend and how much did you actually outlay? And the the big difference is if you put stuff on a credit card, those expenses don't show up until you pay off your credit card. Or if you do work for a client and send them an invoice, that invoice amount doesn't get counted as income until it shows up like in your bank account. So your business, that's the idea of like your business can have millions in revenue, but it closes because you don't have enough cash to pay your employees. But for most people that that's important, but uh, you're going to get that from like an income statement and you know, you can kind of watch your bank accounts for that. One thing that I really hit on myself a lot is I spend a lot on books and training and stuff like that and then don't actually do it. Like I don't have the time to get to them. And so that's kind of been a good deciding factor of, you know, yeah, I set aside $100 for books this month, but realistically, I have a lot of other books I still need to read. I have books I've already read that I haven't put the concepts in practice. So maybe I should, you know, lower that and actually do something more automated, like I said, where I actually bought coaching. So someone's going to sit down and tell me what to do and work with me to do something versus just learning something. And I found it was eye-opening to see how much I was spending on domain names and hosting and all that stuff, you know, stuff that doesn't directly drive revenue for my business. And I've taken steps to kind of reduce that or kill off services. This isn't for me, but another thing might be interesting is if you track how much you spend for contractors and start noticing that you're spending a significant amount there, uh, it might be time to think about hiring an actual employee to do the work too, or instead of. Right. Well, it also also can help. I mean, this is something that I've seen that when you hire a contractor, when you hire someone to work for you, you have to be really careful that it's not reducing your income because, you know, it could be that they're bringing in money, but you're spending time uh, managing them. And so, I mean, one thing that I, I do know how to sort of break out of my budgeting of my income is how much am I bringing in per month? How much is my employee bringing in per month? And I can sort of say, well, you know, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? And for now, it's definitely worth it. For now, I'm you know, really happy to have them around. But, you know, there is a non-zero amount of time that I'm spending each month looking over shoulder and talking to him and just managing him and dealing with the accounting having to do with him. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, when you get into later stages, a good question that I like to ask is, you know, do I have enough extra income and actual cash in the bank to do some kind of investment? You know, whether it's taking time off to build a new product or to write a new book 
or even like basic stuff I can invest in myself, like take a vacation for a week or two. And that's, I'm actually been really focused on that recently. That's been kind of a big driving motivating factor is, you know, doing a bunch of, you know, almost full-time client work for some people right now to build it up so I can take some time off to focus on, you know, my next product, maybe take some time off, get some sleep, that sort of thing. Yeah. So one other thing I'm, I'm curious about just, you know, having now looked at my budget or looked at my, you know, ledger or whatever you want to call it is that, for example, I have payments from my bank account to my American Express. And then I have, you know, I have stuff that comes in and out from PayPal. And so if I put those accounts in there, how do I reconcile them? If it's an account you own and you're basically transferring money or making a payment, that's just a transfer. Um, it's still in the accounting way it works. It's like, it's just, you're keeping it balanced, you know, so a hundred dollars from your checking to pay down your credit card is it's a transfer transaction money coming in or money going out to like what your business controls. So like people paying you through PayPal or you paying someone else through PayPal, those are income or expense, depending on which way it goes. Okay. And so I would if do I... it where all your checking accounts, savings accounts, PayPal, uh, any credit cards like American Express, all of those are actual like accounts that you put transactions in. So for example, if I pay my American Express, then I should remove those from my bank account. And if I make a payment to somebody through PayPal and it deducts some from my bank account, then I should remove that from my bank account as well and just account it through PayPal? Yeah. So let me see. So say you wrote a check, you know, a piece of paper check, which most people don't do anymore, um, from your checking account to a contractor. That would be an expense yes. in your checking account for $100 categorized as contractors. Right. Okay. Say you wrote another check from your checking account to pay your credit card bill. I'm saying checks that you could actually very, very clearly see the, the flow. Mm-hmm. So you checking to, to your credit card for a thousand dollars because the credit card is still your account. That's a transfer of a thousand dollars in cash. So that would be, I think it's a debit in accounting. I don't remember. That's a thousand dollars that leaves your checking account, but it goes into your, your Amex account. And so that's an internal transaction. It's not actually categorized. But you'd have the transaction show up in both of the accounts because it's uh, money flowing. Oh, so you just it, don't put a category on it. Yeah, and YNAB does this for you. It says we're not. It'll actually say category not recommended. You don't like do that. And so that you could like in theory, you can transfer money between checking savings and credit card, or checking savings and PayPal. You could transfer money between all of those all day long and do all that. Those don't actually generate you any kind of expenses. It's just money moving around. You're you're almost money laundering in a way. So that's. That's the way you look at it. If it's someone pays you in PayPal, that's income in the PayPal. If you take that extra income and put it into your checking account, it's that's just a trend. Okay. Yeah. But to Chuck's point, PayPal is actually really, really hard to deal with accounting wise mm-hmm. from a mental standpoint because I use it to take in a lot of one-off payments. I use PayPal, but I also use it to pay for like junky little things on the internet sometimes. So what ends up happening is I'll have these recurring like donations I give to a podcast or something and like my PayPal account will be empty. I try and keep it empty, but occasionally there'll be like a few bucks in it. So what ends up happening is like this recurring fee for $3.99 will go to this podcast that I support on a monthly basis. There's no money in PayPal. So it transfers the money from my bank account automatically, pays for it, or worse is there's like a dollar in my PayPal account. So a dollar comes out of PayPal, two ninety nine comes out of my credit in my checking account, and then at the end of the month there's like a thirty dollar PayPal fee because I have a business PayPal. 
it's yeah. gets super confusing. Oh god. Yeah, so let me let me tell you how I got it figured out for me and it works relatively well. The $30 PayPal fee cuz you have a business account is just an expense, you know, you can call it like maybe the category software or whatever. What I do is if I have say I buy something online, I buy a book for 10 bucks and I use PayPal. I put it into my PayPal account as bought a book from Jonathan. It goes into the the reference material category for 10 bucks. Okay? And now all of a sudden PayPal is negative 10 because I, I sent money out, but that's it. But PayPal behind the scenes, like you said, actually goes and connects to your bank account to fund it. So then I make a second transaction and I, I just call mine PayPal charge. And that is a transfer from my checking into PayPal. And since the transfer doesn't get categorized, so that $10 going into PayPal zeroes it out. Um, and then what I do is every week, um, you know, I'll put all those in and it's, it's a pain in the butt just because of how PayPal is. But if I have extra money in there, what I'll do is I'll do a transfer of everything out of PayPal to clear it out. And that's, once again, a transfer, but it's just the other way. It's, you know, money out of PayPal into checking. Yeah, in QuickBooks, I actually have a payee called, like, both directions from PayPal. I have an actual, it's almost like a fake customer or a fake vendor mm-hmm. where I pay, and it's called, like, PayPal transfer to bank account or pay, or bank account transfer to PayPal. Right. Which is why people like us or you know software developers can't stand QuickBooks because it doesn't make any sense. It like well, forces you, force you to do workarounds. And that's actually that's I mean QuickBooks that they make it visible, but that's double entry bookkeeping in general. Like to keep everything balanced, you have to have those kind of transactions in there. So um, so yeah, I'm not sure yeah, I completely. I the terminology is so confusing though. I'm not sure I completely followed what what you do there then. So. I have all these PayPal transactions that show up in my bank account. So do I just remove them and then put a transfer in instead? Okay. So when it shows up in your bank account, so PayPal, when they pull money out, like for, I'll say for Jonathan's book, uh-huh. they change the memo. So your bank will say PayPal, Jonathan. Yeah. Mobile awesomeness is the book title. That, that is the book title. yeah, <laughs> that is the transfer transaction. That's the second transaction you put in. So that's, I'll just mark it as cleared at that point. You don't recategorize it in your checking because if you do a second category, you have $10 in books and PayPal, and then another $10 in checking for books. And so right. you would be double accounting for it. Right. So in YNAB, I do I just, I don't assign it a category, and then what do I do with it? That's it. I mean, you, you assign the category once in PayPal, and then the transfer from checking or from, I use my credit card, from either of those into PayPal, that's a transfer. So that's actually, there's no, okay. it's no sh- categories. It's showing up as a transaction, which it is on my checking account. And, yeah, and, and then it's warning me. You need a category. Yeah, and what you do for that case, because um, I did this too, it's because it YNAB doesn't understand that that is a link to this other account yet. Uh-huh. You need to go in and say this is categorized as a transfer to PayPal, and then it will do it. And you'll you might have to clear up some doubles because it might double stuff up for you. But it took me, I think, under an hour to do all that, and it actually it looks pretty sane once you have it all done. Another thing I do is I don't keep track of PayPal fees. So if someone pays me 20 bucks, but PayPal takes the $2 fee, I put it in as 18. I got sick of having these little cents and getting like, oh, I can't yeah. get the split transaction. I just, I put in the net to me because that's how Stripe works. Stripe doesn't give me the full amount and then, you know, take money away from me. They just give me what, what I'm netting. Um, and that's actually made a huge, huge time savings this year alone. Yeah. That's a major problem with PayPal for me, accounting wise, is that it makes reconciliation impossible. Yeah, I mean, in theory, you would you might want to look at that and be like, okay, well, PayPal fees are higher. I'm going to go look around. But I found myself, I'm I'm never asking myself that business question. And the cost of putting in all the PayPal fees was too high. And so that's where I actually, you know, changed it based on the data I had in my previous accounting system. 
But so if I do like sometimes I'll do a transaction for like five or ten thousand dollars through PayPal, so the fee is significant. So I have to actually deal with it. Yeah, and you can do that. What I've done for my book sales and stuff like that, I don't put in every book sale. I put in what sold this week. And in the notes, I'll say from this date to this date. And so instead of saying, you know, a 39, 49, 39, 49, 49, and you know, and all the fees associated with it and all the transfers to the bank account, I'll just say book sales for this week, you know, $420 or whatever. That was one of the, for me, the nice things of moving from DPD, GetDPT, to Gumroad. Because DPD was sending me a PayPal transfer for every single book. And so I needed to account for every single one. And then it was a question of, well, is it coming from the person? Is it coming from PayPal? And I worked something out with my accountant, but Gumroad just sends me every two weeks a, a block of, hey, here's your income for the last two weeks. And I'm sure they're not doing it out of altruism, but they're doing it because they get some sort of discount on block transfers or you know bulk transfers every two weeks. But it's definitely made it easier for me in that sense. But I still I still need to give my accountant, basically I treat it like another account. And so I give my accountant uh, every month along with my bank sort of statement, I give them my PayPal statement of what transfers have I done over the last month. All right. Well, I don't know if I have any other questions. I think you pretty well sold, uh, at least my you sold me on doing a budget, Eric. Yeah. I mean, and like I said earlier, all honesty, if this is hard or complex, you can pay a bookkeeper to set a lot of this stuff up or to do it or to sit down with you and train you. I mean, it's it's a skill like anything else. You can learn it. Um, and it might be if the headache of doing the financial accounting part of it just might be too much. And you just say, I'd rather just, you know, pay someone $200 a month, give me the report. But I think taking the time to look it over and do the the management, it can be called management accounting. But do like, okay, what is this actually what my business wants to do? Is this heading, is my finances helping me go where I want to take my business? You know, are there opportunities I have? That sort of thing. Like, that's something I think everyone needs to do. You know, whoever prepares it, you need to do that as the business owner. Yeah, it just it makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Jonathan, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I just have one this week. It's sort of an update pick. We had Philip Morgan on the show. I don't know if it's, yeah, it's probably gone live by now. And he wrote the positioning manual, and this week he released the EPUB and .mobi versions of the positioning manual. So it's it, with also with updated content. So this book, the positioning manual for technical firms, is my number one must-read book on my reading list for coaching students. It's the very, it's like the workbook for the first month of the work that we do together. It's the best business book I've read in the last year. And if people are, you know big Kindle fans or they like to read books on their phones, then, uh, and, and maybe we're putting off the purchase because it was only available as PDF, then now you can finally get it on your phone in a way that is uh, like right in your Kindle application or on your Kindle uh, in a way that's pretty convenient. So that's my pick. All right. Ruben, do you have some picks for us? I've mentioned a few times in the past on the podcast, uh, a podcast called Econ Talk, uh, which is just a weekly long interview, like an hour, hour and a half. Uh, Russ Roberts, I think is his name, is an economist who interviews different interesting people, both academics and, uh, you know, people in business. So the latest edition as of our recording now of Econ Talk is with, uh, journalist Adam Davidson, who works for NPR and the New York Times Magazine. And he's been doing a lot of investigation into different ways that people work. He just done a lot of work uh, at factories and what factory jobs are like nowadays and how they're different and how the American and world economies have changed a lot. And he recently was an advisor 
to um, a movie that's being made about Michael, um, what's his name? Michael Lewis's book, The Big Short. And so he talks about in this latest episode how work is becoming more like Hollywood, where everyone is becoming a short-term contractor. Everyone is getting the business signals of is their work uh, more important, less important, happening, not happening? What do they need to change in their skills? And it sounded a heck of a lot like the sort of work that consultants do. And in fact, we talk a lot here about how important it is to specialize. Last week, we spoke a lot with Philip Morgan about how important it is to specialize. And he said that um, he was speaking to the makeup people on the movie. And the makeup person was saying, well, you know, it's this subspecialty in makeup to do zombie makeup. And for a long time, that was like a really small subspecialty that no one really cared about. But now, with all these zombie movies, people who specialize in zombie makeup is like, like they're hugely in demand. And so it turns out specializing is not just something for uh, computer consultants. Anyway, it was a very interesting, very entertaining interview. And I think it's uh, definitely useful for people who are freelancing to hear what he has to say. All right. Eric, what are your picks? All right. So my pick is it's a post on Win Without Pitching. It's five reasons you should offer guarantees. Actually, I caught this from Philip Morgan on Twitter uh, last week, started reading through it. And Blair actually makes some good cases for having uh, what he calls a satisfaction guarantee um, that I'm actually really considering putting into my business. I haven't forgot the details yet. I've literally been too busy, but uh, it's very interesting. And I think it might be a good way to kind of differentiate myself as far as like against other consultants. So Although I'm picking it, I don't want you to follow this advice if you're a competitor of mine. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, I just want to give a shout out to YNAB. Um, I know we've talked about it on the show, but it is a pretty awesome program. I'm also going to pick a few podcasts. I'm not sure if I picked it on the show before, but Serial is awesome. I think it got mentioned a little earlier uh, as a podcast. And then one other one that's one of my favorites and i know this has been picked as startups for the rest of us and then um i got a set of bluetooth bone conduction headphones and they're really awesome i'm trying to remember what they're aftershocks aftershocks blue too but yeah really enjoying those as well they sound great and they're awesome so those are my picks and i guess with that we'll wrap up catch everyone next week this episode is sponsored by Dev Mountain. Dev Mountain is a coding school with the best world-class learning experience you can find. Dev Mountain is a 12-week full-time development course. With only 25 spots available, each cohort fills quickly. As a student, you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure you are getting the most out of the class. Tuition includes 24-hour access to campus and free housing for our out-of-state applicants. In only 12 weeks, you'll have your own app in the App Store. Learn to code. It's time. Go to devmountain.com slash freelancers. Listeners of The Freelancer Show will get a special $250 off when they use the coupon code freelancers at checkout. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. 
sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 